0: Welcome to Pensions WTAF, Working Through the Actual Facts podcast, a podcast brought to you by Pengage Limited, pension communications engagement and guidance experts. I'm Laura and I have 25 years experience working within the pension sector, helping people to prepare and plan for their retirement.
1: And I'm Nigel Heaton. I joined um, Laura at Pengage last year After 33 years working in the pensions industry uh, for some of the major employee benefit consultancies, I'm also a fellow of the Pensions Management Institute and on pensions I'm rarely short of an opinion.
0: So this is a podcast no one will want to listen to because it's about pensions, but you should listen to it. It's a bit fun, it's relatable, it's kind of important. This is not financial advice but guidance to help work through some of the practical and emotive issues that causes pensions procrastination. So, we basically take the complicated stuff and try and make it a bit not complicated. Hello and welcome to Pensions WTAF, I'm Laura Bowler and this is my co-host, Nigel Heaton. Hi,
1: Nigel. Hi. Hello, you alright? It's been a while since we did this.
0: Um August 2022, and I had a look, which I thought was outrageous, it's been a while, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has anything happened since then?
0: Not much. <laughs> I think we've just been so busy um, with so many different things. There's been a lot of changes, hasn't there? There's been a lot of um, announcements about McLeod, pensions, tax and the budget earlier in the year that we've just been kind of um, super busy and loaded with queries and things like that. Um, One of which we're going to talk about today, uh, which is specific to do with the NHS pension scheme, isn't it?
1: Yeah, because since we last did a podcast, my wife, who is um, was a member of the NHS pension scheme and a nurse, has retired. So she retired in January and she's gone back to work, working one day a week. So she's actually done retire and return. So I guess we can talk about that from an informed perspective on the basis that it's actually happened in our house. And obviously me being in pensions and her being uh, an NHS healthcare person for 35 years, I guess, between us. You'd like to think we understand the retirement return and flexible retirement options within the NHS, but we find it a struggle. And I think um, we've decided, haven't we, that in a future edition of this, we'll invite Anna on as a special guest and we'll fire questions at her. Um, and in return, I'll I'll offer to make dinner or something like that. <laughs> Does that seem reasonable?
0: That feels like a good trade. Uh yes, I think that's what we'll do if, if Anna doesn't mind that we'll uh we'll bring her on and she can talk about her experiences, which might be helpful to others who are then in a similar situation or thinking about whether to access their pension. So I think that would be great.
1: Okay. Um
0: maybe what we should do today then is talk about um what what these flexibilities are, what what's new
1: yeah.
0: uh for this year from the NHS pension scheme in respect of these. Um, retirement options and they're in particular can focus on a letter that is available on the NHS BSA website Um, but I believe as well reading the information on the website is it has started to drip out to individuals from around about March time and it will keep being issued up until about June it's going out in transition so I think most people have probably had this letter now
1: yeah Uh, Anna Anna got hers in March now as I've already mentioned she actually retired in January and it it had an impact on her situation and we can talk about that in a bit more detail when she's uh, she's on the next session but what what's in this letter what does it talk about
0: so it's it's Talking about having uh, more options for a flexible retirement is what it says. And what the Department for Health and Social Care have decided to do at a scheme level for NHS pensions is introduce um, more options and flexibilities about how people access their pension benefits from the NHS. And in particular, this really circulates around the 1995 part of the pension scheme. So. Anybody's not familiar, there are currently three sections within the NHS pension scheme, which are 95, 2008, and 2015. There are already flexibilities in existence for 2008 and 2015. 1995, there wasn't really, Um, there was some, which we'll talk about in a second, but also a big cohort of senior. Uh, clinicians and NHS workers have service and quite a lot of service in the 1995 section so because we didn't have flexibilities there it was meant people um, were potentially just taking their benefits and totally leaving the NHS or missing out on on some other options that you have in the other sections.
1: Yeah I think it's worth um, trying to understand what, what sits behind all this, what, what the motivation for the Department of Health is. And I think it, it's simply down to um, staff retention, isn't it? They want to retain um, qualified and skilled people within the NHS. Um, obviously, um, the NHS is working hard to recruit uh, junior people, but they don't want to lose senior qualified people in the 50s at a time when the NHS is probably struggling um, more than it ever has done in the past.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly that. And um, it's interesting because obviously, as you say, these letters, I think, did start going out in around March time. And then subsequently to when they started being issued, we then had the budget, which changed things as well for the better for senior clinicians. And I actually think we're in a position now, where because of lots of different changes sort of come together, then it's the accumulation of those that make a, a better situation. But yeah. this letter in particular is... Um, Enhancing something that was already in place, which was something called retire and return. And it's introducing a new flexible option for the 1995 section from October this year. All right. um, so changes have come in in kind of two stages. First of April was the enhancement to retire and return. And then first of October will be this new kind of flexible or partial retirement option, whatever you want to call it.
1: Do we need to dig a bit deeper into what those things are and what they mean?
0: I think so. Yeah, I think so. So if we probably take a step back, um, before April this year, there has always been an option in the 1995 section called retire and return. Um, And that means effectively that somebody could retire um, from their role, so resign effectively, have a minimum gap of 24 hours and then come back into work within the NHS and by doing that they could access their 1995 pension benefits um, and then they could as i say with that gap of at least 24 hours come back to work um in some form whether that was full or part-time or whatever that is um the restrictions around it or the difficulty around it i suppose are that because you're effectively resigning and coming back you're coming back potentially Uh, with a new contract of employment which could if your employer chose to have new terms and conditions which might mean things like you lose excellence awards or you lose leave entitlements or all those other things that you might have built up over your previous service Um, and also at that time you were not then able to continue to save into the NHS pension scheme so you couldn't carry on building up benefits in the 2015 section. So that was what it originally was, which I think is what it would have been when Anna retired yeah. in January. Yeah,
1: That's exactly it. So in effect, she has a new employment contract, which kicked in from January of this year, which is quite scary considering she's worked in the NHS for 35 years and she's effectively resigned and started again. Um, so, yes, it was a bit strange. and And that 24 hour gap, I, I think, over years it's evolved into a general acceptance that there needs to be a 24-hour gap. I think some trusts used to say it needed to be two weeks at one yes. point. I think I think the problem was something like that it's not actually defined in statute, what constitutes a break between two periods of employment. So different trusts would Uh, come up with different rules, but I think it's generally accepted that it's in everybody's interests that we actually make this a lot easier, which is what sits behind this letter. That's why they're making all these changes. They're trying to make it easier, less restrictive, remove some of those barriers that were put in place. Years ago, when nobody can actually remember why some of them were put in there, uh, just to make sure that people can retire and return, because it's in the interests of the NHS as well as the individuals who are trying to do it. So it's almost like a a "why wouldn't you" situation, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. Especially as um, the other public sector pension schemes do have something similar already in place, and as we said, the, the 2008 and 2015 sections do. So 95 has sort of been lagging behind a bit in that sense. Um, You are quite right. There are some trusts out there who still insist on a different gap So we were talking about 24 hours. So a lot of what we talk about is the rules as far as the pension scheme is concerned. But, of course, employers can adopt their own rules and requirements. And historically, some trusts, and in fact, some, I think, still do. say you have to have a two-week gap. Um, Some also say you can't come back full-time. Some also say you can't come back for more than two years and things like that. So there's been quite a lot of restrictions around the the, the previous retirement return policies, which have obviously caused issues in their own right, really.
1: Yeah. One of the things that used to put people off is something called abatement. Um, and, and abatement was suspended during COVID, wasn't it? And it still remains suspended. And, and am I right in thinking that it's under consultation, but the likely outcome of the consultation is that it will never be reinstated? Is that right? <laughs>
0: So abatement still exists, but only for those who have a special class status. Abatement for everybody else was removed actually quite a few years ago. So it's only impacted on those um, like Anna, because Anna is, is, is a nurse,
1: um,
0: yeah. who have that right to retire unreduced at age 55 from the 95 section. And yes, yeah, so what abatement is, is that ab- you cannot earn more through NHS pay for being at work and an NHS pension than what you were earning before you took your pension benefits effectively. It's a little bit more complicated but that's kind of the high level of it. That has been suspended for those with special class status and it was suspended during Covid and at the moment it is likely to remain suspended until 2025. At this point we're unclear as to what is going to happen at that point. But special class status actually only applies to those people who joined the scheme before uh, 1995. And so um, and we're in a specific category such as nursing, midwifery, physiotherapy, things like that, some mental health officers as well. So actually what you've got is over time, anybody who has that category is is going to kind of disappear anyway because there's no new cases of that. So yeah.
1: um,
0: I should think by the time we get round to 2025, there won't be that many left that have that category attached to them anyway
1: no and even those that are left i guess they can change the hours that they're working uh, to make sure that it doesn't apply to them anyway can't they
0: yeah absolutely yeah um so yeah so the the original retirement return policy was was as that and then from the 1st of april then what has happened is retirement return continues um but the big change well there's two big changes really the first big change is if you do a retire and return so remember what we're talking about here is resigning 24 hour gap or more coming back then you when you come back you are able to continue to build up pension benefits within the 2015 section of the nhs pension scheme so that's the first change if you want to you just don't have to yeah uh, so that's positive. And anybody who has sub- who had previously left and come back, such as Anna, now also has the option to rejoin the 2015 section if they choose to.
1: Yeah, yeah. And she has done, yeah. I suppose we can ask her about all of this, can't we? Um, yeah. it, was there anything else in this letter, apart from a lot of small print?
0: Uh, so that that was that they also said in the letter that they are encouraging so it's not a mandate but they're encouraging employers to match the original terms and conditions where somebody does a retirement return so as we've talked about can be different because you're coming back on a new contract um, and okay. they are being encouraged to to match the terms and conditions so that that was that the, the big one, though, that I think has piqued a lot of interest is for the changes that are coming on the 1st of October this year, which is the flexible retirement option, or partial, has been called a number of things. And this is this works a little bit differently. Um, now, what is slightly misleading from this letter is it implies a couple of things that we probably do need to talk about. But essentially, what, oh. flex, what the flexible option is, is you can decide to uh, access your 2000 sorry access your 1995 pension either some of it or all of it so that's where the flex partly flexible is you can carry on working so you don't need to have a break in service and you retain your current terms and conditions etc and you can build up in the 2015 scheme as well
1: okay very good So
0: it's quite nice. Um, The the detail within it is is, um, as follows. So you can take if you want to access your 95 benefits, you can take between 20 percent and 100 percent of that. So if you only wanted to access half of it, you could do that, for example. Um, And then the other side is that in order to facilitate a flexible retirement option, you must reduce your pensionable pay by 10 percent.
1: Okay, all right. I suppose what what, what strikes me as, you, as you're going through this is that um, a lot of these details I was vaguely aware of, some of the principles I was more aware of, but it it's not exactly straightforward. So what I'm wondering is how clear was this letter and how likely is it that everybody who receives it, who's currently working in the NHS, um, in a healthcare related role how likely are they to be able to understand it and follow it
0: um based on the queries that I've received and that I've seen I, I say it's, it's creating ambiguity actually for people so there's a couple of things there's probably two points I'll pull out um that come up the most the I've got the letter in front of me and one of the sentences in the letter says um from age 55 you'll be able to take between 20 and 100% of your pension benefits without having to leave your current job. Um, now, the problem with this is that people are reading this to say from the age of 55, they can access 100% of their 1995 pension.
1: Mm.
0: Um, now, if somebody doesn't have a special class status, which is most people in the scheme, their normal pension age is 60. So they can access benefits potentially from 55, but that would be classed as early. And so they would be reduced because they're taking it a bit earlier. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So because this letter says you can access up to 100%, people are interpreting this as meaning they can take their benefits at 55 without them being reduced.
1: All right. Which isn't true.
0: No. <laughs> no. 100% is the proportion that you could put into payment. So like I said, do you want to put half of it into payment or do you want to put 80% in or do you want to put 100% in? And whichever proportion that you put into payment, if you are under age 60 for most people, it would be reduced accordingly by the early retirement factor.
1: Okay.
0: So that's that's the first one. The The other one then is um, it says you, you won't need to take a break or change jobs. You just need to reduce your pensionable pay by 10%. Okay. 90% of people don't know what pensionable pay is.
1: Right. Okay. Well, it's not surprising, really. I mean, it's not part of the world that they live and operate in, and maybe the communication should take more account of that. So what, what can we do about it?
0: Well, I don't, I don't know because because it, most people don't know what pensionable pay is. But not only that, the way they're reading the letter is, it means that they they're interpreting it as having to reduce their working hours by ten percent.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Um,
0: but it's it's not. Um, so the the pensionable pay is the pay that we use to calculate uh, the pension contributions, and then also what your <clears throat> pension will be based on. So for most people, particularly non-clinical people, it's it's usually your basic pay. That's usually pretty much it. Um, but you might have extra bits in there that could be classed as pensionable. If you're clinical, it's a bit more complicated. There's lots of different pensionable and non-pensionable elements. So if you need to reduce your pensionable pay by 10%, you can carry on working five days a week. But you might just say, I only want four and a half days worth of my pay to be counted towards the pension, and the other half a day I'll earn, but it just won't be included in my pension calculation going forwards.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right.
0: Does that make okay. sense? That's really not clear at all.
1: And uh, uh, in our experience, are, the, are there any NHS trusts who are doing anything extra to support people who've had this letter or to explain to them what their retirement return options have changed to? Um.
0: I'm sorry to say, from what I've seen so far, no, not really. Um, as you know, we we provide support and webinars for a lot of trusts and this is not something that any uh, have really particularly engaged with at the moment. It might be because there's obviously quite a lot of other things going on. completely appreciate yeah. that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, there are, There's some feedback that, you know, people are raising questions but the trusts themselves don't necessarily know the answers. And I, I understand that because, as we said, these letters have, have only just been going out we're not at the 1st of October yet and employers are waiting for a bit more guidance and a bit more instruction. There is more information that's come out recently on the BSA website but you know if the employers themselves aren't up to speed it's then quite difficult for them to be able to provide anything extra.
1: It's quite frustrating isn't it because obviously from my personal experience uh, and Anna's experience and we'll we'll learn more about that next time but it, it If this was better explained and people understood their options in more detail, I suspect that more people would take advantage of it, which obviously would be in their interests, but it would also be in the the interests of the NHS and it would actually help them achieve the objective that they've set out to do in relaxing some of the constraints. So it's almost like just by improving the communication of it it could actually be a win all round and maybe... Maybe we we start to think in the next um, podcast about some of the um, personal considerations people who work in the health service are likely to have as they enter their 50s um, about how how they um, intend to phase themselves into retirement and and so on. Because I think these are essentially good moves, but if nobody understands them, that letter is going to end up in a lot of shredders and not a lot is going to change.
0: Uh, yeah, no, I think you're completely right. I think there's a there's a, there's an like you said earlier on there's an intent as to why these changes have been brought in, um, and to offer that greater deal of flexibility to retain the workforce. And I think that we run the risk of missing that opportunity without communicating it properly. Yeah. The the other side of that is that people make decisions based on what they've interpreted from the letter, such as I can access all yeah. of my pension at 55, and then find out that they can't. Um, And that's obviously going to lead to problems. And then probably the last thing really as well is if employers are not themselves up to speed with this, they're not necessarily not only not going to be able to help their staff, but also they're not going to be prepared for the changes that they're going to see coming through at their site. So that might be requests for changing working hours. It might be just requests for amendments on payroll, for example, some pay is pensionable, some is now not. So they do really need to try and get on board with this a bit more to make sure that we can you know, all of those things can be delivered on in the correct way.
1: OK, all right. I, I think maybe we we leave that there because we've covered some of the technical aspects which is mainly covered within the contents of the letter that we've talked about but perhaps next time around when anna's here we talk about what personal considerations she had that led her to do what she's done, which is retire and return, but also those of her colleagues and friends. Because I know, um, because you know, she's worked in the health service for a long time. I know a lot of her colleagues and friends. Some of them are in a similar position. Some of them can't do what she wants to do. Some of them might do it if they actually understood it better. Uh, But what's perhaps most worrying is that a lot of people have simply got the wrong end of the stick and misinterpret the whole position completely and therefore can't make an informed decision at all. So maybe we we dive a bit deeper into some of those personal aspects of uh, retirement return next time around.
0: I think that's great. And I'm glad Anna's um, on board to give us a hand with that, because I think it's it's also good for people to hear other people's experiences as well, isn't it? Which is also quite helpful. Um, Yeah. Okay. And some of the decision making. Brilliant. All right. Well, thanks, Nice. It's lovely to see you after however many months it's been. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll be back uh, in a few weeks with the next podcast. Thanks, everyone. All
1: right, yeah. Okay. Bye.